0: Good morning everyone. My name is Gyan Bambani and I am the host of the Entrepreneurship Insights podcast. Today we are here with Rohan Gupta. He's a financial markets enthusiast, a writer, and a leader. He is heavily interested in finance, economics, and technology. He's currently studying at USC and is a co-founder at StreetFins, a national financial literacy organization. It's a pleasure having you on the podcast today, Rohan. Having me. Yeah. So, uh, can you give us some background? How did you get started as an entrepreneur?
1: Uh, It's not really too long of a story. I mean, it's, I I considered myself an enthusiast at first. I still continue to consider myself an enthusiast in the markets. And uh, it started with, you know, the investment club at high school. I was president of it and decided to expand that out into something that uh, could reach a lot more people. So that's how it started. Um, And yeah, from there, uh, as you mentioned, that expansion project became known as Street Fins and it's continuing till this day.
0: Wow. That's, that's definitely inspiring. You know, just starting off as a high school student and just you, I guess you realized a gap or you realized the potential in the market. So what do you enjoy most about, uh, about just inspiring others through financial literacy, through Street fence.
1: I don't know if I would categorize it as inspiring others. I certainly want to have them learn finance, what they choose to do with it, I hope is going to be to use it to make sensible financial decisions. Um, I mean, that's the part that is the most satisfying is seeing you know, them use this knowledge to whatever it is, trade stocks or open a savings account or uh, just do anything that gets them involved in and active with their finances. That's the most enjoyable part.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. You know, just making or just ensuring that you have an impact and you found yours through Street so what So what's, like we described, we described Street StreetFins as a National Financial Literacy Association. So what service does it provide? Like, can you go into more detail on what service does it provide and what problem does it tackle?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it tries to educate students. That's the service it provides. Uh, it tries to educate them through a variety of content. So articles, podcasts, videos, other types of content as well. Uh, we also have a network of high school financial education clubs like the one, like the investment club at our high school, um, which I, I don't attend anymore, but I know you're still at it. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, those are the two services it provides. It provides a network. And within that network, each club can connect with, another club and it can connect with its own students and they can have competitions they can have guest speakers they can share content with each other share educational content with each other and then on the other side you know we have the uh the content that we ourselves put out which again are our, our podcasts, finance simplified our newsletter our articles you know uh, a whole range of content
0: yeah I, yeah definitely you know just even financial literacy is so broad that, that you can almost do anything, right? You said you did podcasts, um, articles, which I, I also read, right? And so how did you scale, how did your network help you scale this, uh, scale this to incorporate many high schools across California and America?
1: Uh, well, it just, it wasn't really a network that I had at the- built when I started I mean it's stuff you do research on you do cold outreach and sometimes it hits and when we reached out to not only these guest speakers but other students at other clubs we had to make sure that we had a good pitch for them and thankfully they're open-minded and they wanted to join our network so it was it's it's not a combination of an existing network it's something that you have to go out and do cold outreach for and, and and build yourself so uh it, it was the network itself building the network is what's the, the scaling part it wasn't like the network helped scale something else yet. And the idea, the idea is that the network of high school clubs we're building will feed us. You know students who can come and contribute their knowledge through articles on the main content end. so that's where the scaling can come in, but to initially build out the network, uh, it was just a lot of cold calling or cold emailing rather and our research
0: wow is that it seems like to start off you just have to put yourself out there and for you it was cold email and right you can you can reach out to anyone and like you said uh, students and your potential guest speakers are open-minded so uh students and sorry, high school students write the articles that are posted on the street fence website so why did you decide it to be that way and not acclaimed investors or acclaimed financial literacy uh, enthusiasts write that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's high school and college students. So we're trying to encompass more students as our writer base in our, in our, you know, on our writer team. And the idea is that the students have a better chance of explaining complex financial concepts to each other, rather than someone who is a professional writer and they do. They're great at what they do. The people at the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg, but they're not writing for students to understand. their writing so that other business professionals can understand, and they have a whole different set of ins- like you know styles that they write. Our writing is a lot more simplistic, and and it's and not in that it's amateur writing. I mean, to sense it is amateur because we are students, but we try to hold ourselves to the highest degree of you know proper journalism, in a sense, you know, we, we cite all our sources, we make sure that we run everything through multiple editors um, on our side, and, and we make sure that these editors also know what financial concepts are, um, and have a, you know, good grounded and deep understanding of, of finance, and also a humble understanding of finance, because as students, we still have a lot to learn. So we aren't making claims that are so definitive in our articles that, uh, that that they don't reflect any kind of sense of open-mindedness or humility with our, with what we know. So um, that's the reason I wanted to have it as as students. It's mainly for the relatability and the simplicity with which we can explain these concepts to our peers.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. You know, um, sometimes it's, it's important if your peers are telling you the story, not like not people who are a generation older right it makes it much more relatable and also we look forward to reading that you know because we can understand right and that's definitely and that's definitely important for financial literacy since it's very complicated and so uh did you do anything before street fins like you said you managed you you uh you were the president of the investment club uh did you do anything else as an entrepreneur before that or during that time period?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a project I was working on with the school district, um, and it it was basically along the same lines of peer-to-peer learning, where Streetfins is students teaching students about finance. The project I worked on before that was, uh, it was an app that tried to connect students to learn from each other in any possible subject. So not just limited to finance or economics, but just anything. So uh, that sort of, translated. I I learned early on that it was more of my goal to educate students about finance specifically. I just had more of an inclination towards doing that. So that's where I, you know, transitioned to uh to StreetFins from that project.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. You know, like just um finding that you can finding that you like to educate and then boiling down to exactly what you wanted, what, what your passions were, what you wanted to um, just give to the world, right? And you said that you create uh, you you developed, or you and the district were developing an app. Um, how did you? How did that turn out? And how many? Like, what was its impact?
1: Well, I the app didn't really go anywhere. If uh, the district was uh, sort of. Uh I'm not allowed to really say too much about this, but it was sort of a mutual agreement that we came to that the app would not be as uh as usable as we thought it would be um, by the students, uh simply because there were some alternatives out there and there's a there's a lack of um though there's a there's a lack of uh how would I describe it? The lack of uh broad interest amongst the student body, that was one part of it um and then there's also the the district wanted to try some other things out instead of that um even though uh we were working on it sort of as a uh that we were getting advice from them but it was more of a while while we were working with them they were more so like who we thought our first customer would be in a sense or first type of user but uh we uh, it it just didn't go as far as we planned for it to go so that's just a uh, you know People, people have different projects. The project's outcomes aren't realized. You can consider it a failure. I, I don't consider it as much of a failure because I still learned a lot. I learned how to code. I learned how to manage teams. All that was really vital for StreetFins, which I think is uh, a lot more successful than the other app projects. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an experience. It's not necessarily something I look back and say was a complete failure or anything because, I mean... A lot of people have made quotes in the past about how you can look at failure, not as failure, but just as a learning opportunity. And, you know, that's a very optimistic way to look at it. But, uh, and and I think it's also the right way to look at it too. So that's how I view it.
0: Wow. You know, just being able to learn from your, being able to learn from your failures is really important, right? Having that sort of growth mindset. And you said you learned how to, uh, how to code and also how to manage teams efficiently, Right. So how did uh, you mentioned it slightly, but about about that experience, but how did how did leaving that and uh, venturing off to uh, Street fins really help you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when we transitioned, it was a similar type of focus where we're trying to connect students to in a way that would help each other learn specifically finance. So uh, the mission was pretty much it was quite similar, uh, in that we wanted to promote peer learning amongst the topic of finance rather than just a broader topic. So a lot of transferable things. Um, there was uh, obviously we weren't making an app for the street We're doing more. So a people, more people focused where it was a network and we have our own content and, uh, trying to make it a, a network that people want to be part of. So a little bit different there, but overall, like you know, you can transfer a lot of things, especially in the team building stuff. Um, and the fact that uh, we were all initially very, uh, very eager to jump into learning how to write these articles because we always read them for investment club and our own sort of personal investment interests. So uh, there's an eagerness to learn something new, which was the writing, the content creation piece of it, uh, along with, uh the, the mission that kind of transferred over. So that's where, you know, there, there's the, that's how I described the transition.
0: I can't help but um, realize that you mentioned uh, passion, like the eagerness to learn. Um, could you go into more detail on how maybe that factor was less important or more important than the others in helping you create and grow Street fins.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to be interested in something you develop, you dedicate a lot of time to. So uh, I think the question kind of answers itself. Like, it was probably the most important thing. Otherwise, without it, I mean, especially, you know, you're not doing this as a full-time job, in a sense, like some some jobs you don't really enjoy, and you, you just go because it's high-paying or it's the only option available. But I mean, I'm a college student. I mean, in high school, I had other options too. But the reason I wanted to stick to street fins was I enjoyed it um, I enjoyed the learning that came along with it uh, you know when you're trying to teach something to others whether it's writing or one-on-one tutoring or you know making an episode on a podcast about it it's it always helps makes you sort of do your research yourself and simplify it yourself before you teach it to others so you become a better explainer when you become a better teacher and you also learn the information faster and you, you learn it better when you teach it so that was an exciting thing and I really enjoyed the satisfaction that came from that. Um, yeah. I mean, like you said, like I said earlier, I think the question answers itself. I think passion and uh, interest in what you're doing is probably the most important thing. Otherwise you won't have a sustainable reason to do it.
0: Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, you know, just being able to, because that passion is going to stick with you, uh, even when nothing else does, right? And so, you you mentioned briefly that you had uh, th- that StreetFins also has a podcast which you host, where you interview um, other uh, other entrepreneurs and other investors and and everyone in that investing and finance field about their work. How did that come about? How did you start that as a part of StreetFins?
1: Yeah, well it. Kind of comes from the investment club. So with the investment club, the first year I was part of it, I was in charge of bringing guest speakers. So we brought in an in-person guest speaker. He was the highest-profile guest speaker by far that we had had. He was a pretty rich venture capitalist, um, and uh, I thought that. And then the next year, and that was an in-person guest speaker that first one we had. The next year we uh, we had four guest speakers, one of whom was also a very prominent name, and those are all virtual. So then uh senior year we had another uh virtual guest speaker but I started the podcast in my senior year and I just felt like a natural transition to make more uh more a, a greater volume of of conversations that are centered around investing with uh with these prominent names and they could also be more focused on a topic rather than a Q&A about any random topic or any random question uh that comes from a club because those were all Q and A's and so yeah that's how it developed. I think it was uh, just naturally transitioned from in-person guest speaker to virtual guest speaker to podcasts.
0: I couldn't like it's it's just yeah because it was natural you know like from uh, from investment club just asking questions you know it's the same sort of strategy that you use but it's more focused and more deliberate Right. So how did you how did you scale that properly and how did you build a reliable audience? Because that is usually an issue for um for for creators who are just starting.
1: Give me one second. I'm going to close my window. I think I hear some sounds from it. I'll be back in just two seconds. Yeah. So in regards to the podcast, uh, Finance Simplified, it was it's uh, a, you know, podcasts are a very crowded space, especially the ones that are about more intellectual things like, you know, finance, financial literacy. Um, There's everyone's trying to be, you know, the next Joe Rogan or the next, you know, it's a, it's, it's just a very crowded space. Um, But, you know, when we try and uh, make sure we we have an audience that is very dedicated to learning uh, these, these concepts. So, they just naturally kind of find this. So um, it's good. Cause we don't necessarily have to um, we don't necessarily have to promote this all the time. Um, I mean, we make our uh, posts about it on social media when they release and then a few days after with like some snippets, but uh, I'd say it's been mostly like natural. People just search up, uh, you know, finance podcasts to listen to, or they search up a guest that we've had on and we have had on plenty of like really top names in the, uh, in the industry. I mean, billionaires, academic academics that are pretty well known. Like we had a Nobel prize winner on we've had, um, you know, like I mentioned, billionaires, uh, CEOs of very, you know, well-funded startups and, um, you know, people who were just absolutely killing it in the industry. So, uh, people search those names up and then they find that we've done an interview with them. And then they just kind of listen to that. Um, so right now, I mean, compared to some of these other podcasts that have been around for years um, and that have people working full-time on them. Uh, Our podcast just recently hit 30 episodes and that was over the course of, that's basically since October of 2019. So that isn't necessarily that much for a podcast compared to like Bloomberg's masters in business or some other podcast where it's a full-time it has, you know, plenty of other people backing it. Um, But for what we've done so far, given that we we go for quality over quantity in a sense. So that's what we it's sort of a limited option that we have to do because we're students. Um and we have a lot of other time commitments. And making an episode is we put a lot of time into each episode and each uh you know, half of an episode, because we release one interview in two chunks or two episodes, so part one and part two. Um, but I mean, overall, it's just been naturally that people find us and um, I, I talked to some people who, uh, in college who say, oh yeah, I mean, I, I saw that podcast post that you did and, um, you know, it was on your story or it was on your LinkedIn or whatever. And I started listening and I think it's really good. So, I mean, that's really always, you know, great. And, um, but that, that means I think that they would have found it organically. Otherwise they would have just, um, they would have searched it up because they're just naturally interested in that stuff. So I think, you know, just making something that naturally is interesting is the best way to build a reliable audience
0: yeah man i it's uh sometimes it's really hard to uh hard to put out interesting content but uh once you do you can actually build um but like you said a reliable audience right like i've also had that experience like kids coming up to me like uh, students coming up to me and they're like oh I, I listened to this episode of your podcast right and it's abs it's it's shocking but also it makes it's make I'm pretty sure it makes you also happy to know that you're making a true impact so where do you see yourself <clears throat> sorry where do you see yourself with the podcast in a few years do you see you exploring anything else in that podcast field utilizing your audience to do anything else
1: I mean, the only thing I want to utilize the audience for is to a spread the message, uh, uh, or spread the podcast to others. Um, cause some people will naturally do that. And some people just kind of, uh, see the podcast as something that is not necessarily the most top thing that they listen to. Um, and that they won't necessarily be as serious about helping us as the creators of the podcast, you know, spreading the message. So hopefully, you know, the audience will grow with time and, and we'll be more passionate about sharing it. Um, And that's what every podcast really hopes for is that natural sort of viral way to grow. Um, Where do I see myself with the podcast? Um, Well, the whole idea is that the podcast will be run by students. And that's just the philosophy that we hold. I think it's just powerful and almost sort of magical that we can create that and and really push forth because it shows that students are capable of, you know, learning on their own. We don't necessarily need the hyper- uh, there, there's always some kind of agenda with many of these financial news organizations. Um, and so, or, or like these people who claim that they're the best source of financial wisdom, but they're just one person. And, and that's just not really true. So uh, whenever we can, we try to make sure that not only is it a, the messages or the the sort of uh, philosophy that we're following is, that we're always going to stay student run because that's the most relatable, but we're also going to be collectively student run, meaning no one student is going to ever be like the, the the main sort of arbiter of street fins or information. Like for me, it's me and then my co-host as well. And then we also have a whole incredible team of students behind, you know, helping with the podcast, um, both college students and high school students. We have someone, we have, you know, someone else who writes our newsletter, we have someone we have a bunch of different writers. So it's all a collection of students, not just one student or one personality behind that. Because we frankly don't think that's the right way to go about learning is not, you don't learn from one personality, you learn from a bunch, especially with finance. I mean, let's say with physics, you can just find a really smart physicist who might learn and know everything, all the equations and everything, but that's because physics is more or less finite. Finance is not finite it's always changing, and so you need a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different ways to say something is simple um, and so what that means for me going forward is that eventually once I am no longer uh you know a student i 'm no longer the most relatable voice um, I will pass the podcast down um, to another student who will be um hopefully you know thinking more or less along uh, it, they'll have their own sort of unique way to have a conversation, but it'll also be focused on education, um, and not, uh, something else, you know, it's, it, our, our podcast finance simplified will always be about, uh, you know, simplifying and explaining financial concepts in the most relatable and easy way to understand with the most exciting and, uh, uh, intriguing guests.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I really don't know what to say, man. That was, that was truly, um uh, i guess insightful because just being able to uh, like you said pass down the or give the most interesting information in the most engaging way possible that's really important especially in the podcast world because no one really has time like half an hour 40 minutes to sit down and listen to one old thing right so that that's that, that's honestly really interesting so as we uh, near the end of our interview as we're near the end of the our interview what advice do you have for teens thinking of entering the entrepreneurship field or the financial literacy field just being investing in venture capital and so on and so forth
1: uh so for people who want to be an entrepreneur i would just say you have to be humble about it you have to understand that you might think you have a good idea and that you know it's a it's a good you know uh, and that you might want to pursue it for whatever reason. Um, but you have to always stay humble and and know that you're not, you, you're not, you, you know, you, you can have a founded startup and, and you might think it's so innovative, but whenever you're, you know, trying to talk to other people, um, never come off as too full of yourself. Um, that's the first thing. And, and never think that, you know, what you're doing is, is like, um, is A, going to be like the most world-changing thing ever because there's always going to be things that change the world. There's always going to be some person who's always trying to like one-up one up you or anything. But, you know, the key is just to stay humble with that. Um, I haven't, uh, there's so many stories of people who I've met who, who think that, you know, they're changing the world. And when I really talk to them and it, they're not, you know, they're just uh, very much just full of themselves. They think that they're entitled to success. Um, and so I would say you have to, um, make sure that you're not going to stay entitled to that success. And with that, you know, that comes humility, um, being willing to not to, to kind of view, view yourselves obje- objectively um, and say that, you know, what you're doing is is might work. It's not going to work and you're not going to be this world changing thing. And um, and and so you have to like carefully, it, it kind of is my philosophy. I mean, I don't know if everyone else agrees, but you have to just stay humble and you can't be entitled. That's the one thing I would say because many people will, and, you know, that leads to both, uh, if you're entitled, you know, you can, you might achieve something with that, but it wouldn't really be, you know, the the right way to achieve it, in my opinion. Um, and then with regards to students who are wanting to get interested in financial literacy, I would say that just because you day traded during the pandemic, or you got rich from Robinhood does not mean you're a great investor, because if everyone else is getting rich around you, you know, that's not, that doesn't mean that, if you just simply click the buy button at that point yes it means you know you're keeping track of things but that's not what a good investor does cuz a good investor will beat his peers and and get better returns than them so um and then that ties into humility and being willing to learn more and not being really full of yourself and again it's it's a lot of students i've talked to think that they're the best investors ever just cuz they made money once and they I mean, in truth, they are struggling to find how to make money again um, rather than uh, and, and, they, and they did them. But I mean, that's not what an actual investor does. An investor is trying to find opportunities to always make money um, with, the, with the markets, not just one off things like Robin Hood or day trading or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I guess the, the, the advice goes to, to both of those types of people, both looking to be entrepreneurs and both looking to be financially literate. Just be humble and don't be entitled.
0: Yeah, I. That's that's absolutely wonderful. You know, just being able to step back, look at look at yourself, like you said, from an objective stance, and not and, and just not be full of yourself, right? Because no one likes people who are full of themselves. Right. Just being able to, uh, being being able to grow properly with the peers with, with your peers. That's really important. And so what advice do you have for students about using their time, their relationships and their opportunities to take advantage of their passions?
1: Um, I mean, just honestly, it's different for everyone, so I would just say, you know, you have to figure out for yourself like if you really enjoy if you really enjoy something and you think you can make some kind of project out of it. Um, I would say go ahead and try it. Um, make sure that it's not going to be the biggest time suck of your life because you have to enjoy other things in life. Um, in college, a lot of students, uh, there, there's two types of students in college who I'm sort of recognizing, those who are always just knee deep in work and always trying to work on passion projects and they don't have time for anything else. And the students who actually have a sort of a more well-balanced aspect and then there's another sort of third type of student who is like the opposite of the person knee deep in work who just has tons of free time just partying all the time but um you know you have to like sort of figure out that right balance um, and if you know it doesn't work out it doesn't work out don't beat yourself up for it um obviously try and learn what you can from it but a lot of times like it's it's just bad luck or market you know timing is is off or this project isn't necessarily like um going to fit with like your initial target market for it um it's it's there's a lot of factors that go into it that are kind of out of your control so again just don't beat yourself up for it um and just enjoy the enjoy other parts of life outside of just going you know uh just working really really hard um because or just uh, you know grinding really hard on uh on your personal passion project because some people will respect that but you know come time when you want to actually look back at like the relationships you've built um, and like, just realize what you've talked about with them. And you see, see that all you've been talking about with them is like your personal passion project and nothing else, you know, you don't talk about sports or, you know, maybe relationships or whatever it is uh, you're going to realize that you should have, you know, spent more time on that. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe toned it down a little bit on the passion project then. Cause you have your whole life to work on passion projects, especially if you have a job that you like, you have your whole life. And even outside of the time, you know, for your job, you can always work on those. But, um, you know, if you're a student right now, uh, enjoy things that a student should enjoy, right? Like just exploring everything um, and being more well-balanced than uh, singularly minded and singularly focused with your time. Wow, that was, that
0: was, I, Again, I don't know what to say, man. Because it's just that every entrepreneurship in general and, and really life in general is about just finding a balance between, like in this case, it was passion projects and your other uh, relationships, your social life and everything like that. And I guess finding that is truly important because... Uh, like you said, when you look back, you're gonna realize you 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 are going to regret uh, what you didn't do or what you did do right so that that's that's awesome um Would you like to uh, close with any ending remarks just like if uh, whatever like what you really want our listeners to get out of this podcast out of this episode
1: today uh, so closing remarks uh Let's see. What have I not said already? I mean, yeah, I think what I just said earlier, you know, being, being humbled and being not entitled to anything will serve you very well in this life. Um, Especially with you when you're trying to build relationships and you're meeting with people who obviously know a lot more than you, if you act like you're better than them or like you deserve something that they got that they earned and you just want to have, then they're just going to immediately just not talk to you anymore. Um, And so, yeah, uh, I'd say those would be the fair, uh, two things. And for anyone listening, you know, check out my podcast, Finance Simplified, if you have any interest in, you know, becoming financially literate. Uh, we were recently put on a list of, uh, you know, this, this happened organically too, you know, we didn't push for it or anything. We we were put on a list of uh, one of the best podcasts about finance to listen to in 2021. Um, and so we're on that list. So uh it's uh you could just search it up um i'm not going to bore you with like the source or anything right now if you want to verify it you can otherwise you can take me at my word for it um but yeah check that podcast out if you want to you know start learning finance um in a very simplified way again we have really cool guests on it um we had our most famous guest is anthony scaramucci who was he you know he was in the trump administration for those fabled 11 days um we've also had people who are very well connected in the industry, someone who, a guy named Howard Marks, who's one of my favorite guests, and he's so smart and he's a billionaire and he actually um, is respected a lot by Warren Buffett. So, you know, we we bring on some really great names. And so if that interests you at all, uh, feel free to check it out. Uh, just find Simplified on any podcast platform you have. Um, and I guess a closing thing would be, um, uh, yeah, I mean, just, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of push towards, you know, having like a, especially in the Bay area and, uh, you know, parts of, you know, New York, like hustle culture, grind culture, super big, just ignore that, you know, grind it, grind, just don't, you don't have to do something just for the sake of saying that you're a hustler or you're, you know, you grind out and you grind out work and you know, you're hustling for that success or anything, uh. That that very rarely works and the people who kind of push for that on social media or anything are not as successful as you'd think. Um and so yeah, I would say be cognizant of that and 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 be a little skeptical of that too. So um yeah, that would be my final three pieces of advice. Just taking it a little bit easier than you might have previously thought to.
0: Yeah. Um, our society puts out this like especially through social media, it puts out this image that everyone's just grinding, like you said, all the time, and it motivates you also to do the same, but sometimes we need to take everything or we need to take some things with a grain of salt. And so I, I guess that wraps up our interview. And um, Thank you, Rohan, for taking the time out of your schedule uh, to just give us some insight into uh, how you got started, your your entrepreneurial and your financial literacy journey and just your um, your visions for the future. And definitely check out the Finance Simplified podcast. Go subscribe to the Street Friends newsletter. Check out their articles. I, I found my inspiration uh, through that. And with that, have a wonderful day, you all. Thank you.